Ryan. Welcome into the round table. And looking into 2024, what is the most optimal mode of transportation? Are we talking about rail? Are we talking about trucking? Are we talking about something else, perhaps? Right now, let's just concentrate on those two and see where things may be headed in the new year. Joining us is Mike Bowden-Distler, head of Intermodal Solutions, as well as Thomas Watson, our enterprise trucking expert, as well as joining us here in Chattanooga. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here and talking about what may be the optimal mode of transportation. Are we going to see any shifts in 2024? Mike, let me put the question to you. Right now, why is rail, in your opinion, perhaps, going to be optimal uh, in the new year? So for shippers, I think now is a good time to take a fresh look at intermodal. Maybe some shippers that have not used intermodal in the past or may have had a bad experience with intermodal service. You know, you do have to have um, freight that moves in lanes that is compatible with rail intermodal, but the rail service uh, has really gotten a lot better. And I think that's the main thing. I mean, during the pandemic, we heard from shippers that said, you know, the service was so awful, they would have to go into rail terminals and pull out their containers to truck them on the highway. You know, we're hearing kind of the opposite right now. I mean, just really lots of compliments on, on service, particularly CSX. So I think that's, I think that's number one. Uh, you do get that intermodal, um, you know, savings of 10 to 15 percent. Uh, you know, that's important uh, too. But you know, and, and the carbon, uh, you know, savings that a lot of shippers really care about. But I really think, um, you know, ser service first and foremost is is the biggest reason to take a fresh look at intermodal. Thomas, question over to you. Why do you think uh, trucking is going to be perhaps more optimal in the new year? Really just depends on cost and time. I mean, if you're doing intermodal with a large lane, like Mike said, when intermodal has the lanes from large metros and time is not a factor, then uh, it's really sometimes hard for truckload to compete. Now, with the rates being so low, uh, truckload remains a very big savings option. So, uh, you know, anecdotally, folks who had a higher percentage in intermodal are still, uh, we have lingering uh, truckload carriers getting more of the action uh, just because, you know, the prices are so low. So, um, you know, I think that truck trucking and truckload, full truckload always has a place in a shipper's uh, budget. It always has a place in terms of their scheme. It's just that for, you know, the past, uh, you know, because of the rail service issues, a truckload had gained out a little bit more than it historically has. So one of the big challenges for trucking will be, uh, can they hold on to it? Uh, we hear about that and even private fleets gaining ground. So trucking does have some headwinds ahead as moving to 24. Mike, as you look at it, uh, there's some obviously changes going on within the rail universe, if you will. Obviously, reciprocal switching, not completely online yet, but it looks like uh, that's certainly in the future here in a little bit. You also had kind of a little bit of a change, perhaps, paradigm uh, in terms of uh, more cargo moving north-south. You obviously had CPKC having their, um, uh, their merger, which puts cargo on one train from Canada all the way down to Mexico. Um, how does that perhaps change rail's argument if it does? So the, the CPKC merger is is really set off um, an opportunity, I think, for rail intermodal because that um, merger has extended the reach of the combined railway networks. So it does you know, potentially open up a lot of new corridors on one railroad from, let's say, Chicago to Dallas, Mexico to Detroit, all of those things. And so you've seen other railroads uh, partner up as a, what seems like a competitive response where you've had you know, Union Pacific and Canadian National, you know, team up along with Ferramax and a lot of them um, to, to move freight more heavily um, in, in more of a collaborative met, met, uh, method, you know, through Eagle Pass, um, you know, Texas. So I think it, it, it has spurred, um, you know, more 
sort of collaboration. Uh, when, when you look at that merger, I think, you know, the reciprocal switching thing, you know, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening there. I mean, it really does pertain more to, um, you know, almost it really pertains more to the, 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 the car load business rather than intermodal. Where, where it could impact intermodal is if that creates congestion on the railroad network that could potentially impact intermodal service. I think we're a long way from those type of things uh, happening. Thomas, remember a couple, I think it was a couple of rail conventions ago, there was a very strong intention for rail to try and pick up some of the market share that it had lost to trucking. What does trucking have to do to keep that market share as they've had it uh, in, in these recent years? Uh, to keep it, to keep the market share, they'd have to be really cheap. But the problem is, the cost <laughs> is going to drive more of them out of the market. So, I mean, this is a pendulum. It's trucking cyclical. Uh, we will see this movement because of trucking and cost. But at the same time, like when you read reports and uh, you know you get anecdotal things, some shippers had you know purposely been uh, n- neglecting their portfolio for rail. So it's almost a return to normalcy. I mean, uh, being the trucking expert, I'd love to see more volumes in trucking, but especially for those shipments, when we have that lingering inventory, a little bit of confusion over consumer demand sometimes, uh, you know, it's still a situation where for those shipments, rail, rail remains attractive. So, I mean, for trucking at the end of the day, uh, if these were lanes that you traditionally ran and they're part of your RFP and you're the incumbent, and you've had them for more than like five years, you should be fine. Now, if you get a new RFP and you see like a Los Angeles to Chicago and it looks a little bit different than what you're used to, maybe that used to be an intermodal lane. Who knows? You know, stuff like that. Uh, At the end of the day, I I hate to go back to the relationship thing, but communicate, find out. You know, you're going to know your customers. If they're talking about how during the next RFP that we're going to be losing some lanes because management wants to get more intermodal exposure, they're finally getting allotments or something, then uh, that's something you're going to have to work around and you're going to have to have a diversified customer mix. But I think that's something that, you know, we are looking at an eventuality. And then, you know, go maybe fast forward four or five years from now, we may see the pendulum swing again. Uh, It's just right now costs. And so uh, I think with better rail service, it's going to be hard for trucking to continuously do it because it's almost like you're running a marathon. You're coming up near the end, you're out of gas, while the rail are finally starting to pick up some steam. There's my train joke. So, Mike, let's dovetail off of that in terms of, again, real looking to get more market share. Is this more or less a cyclical thing where you see maybe just inertia simply bringing more volumes back to rail? Or is there something perhaps even more that railroads can do to increase volumes and put more on on the intermodal? Well, I think it's all about service is, is, is a thing. I mean, I think if you can provide a truck like service, they're going to gain um, you know, some degree of market share, maybe recover some market share that was lost uh, the, the past few years. Um, you know, liked what uh, J.B. Hunt had to say at F3. I mean, we're talking about um, basically taking you know one day transit time off of a typical intermodal move. And you think of an intermodal move as being truckload plus a day. So taking a day off of it is the equivalent of, of, of truckload. And they're talking about you know maybe moving that um, the containers on a on a on the highway if there's congestion or a flood or some disruption that would uh, impair impair service. So I think I think service is a, is a really important thing that um, you know both the railroads and their intermodal partners, uh, those companies that you know, own the containers or get the containers from someplace, um, you know provide. And then potentially uh, some of these companies could open up um, you know more uh, corridors to make those more viable options like at F three you know JB Hunt was talking about you know, having more volume in and out of uh, Salt Lake City, in and out of Phoenix, 
um, in and out of Denver. So those are our locations. Um, we're really intermodal. It's kind of punched below its weight class because it's not the you know huge market like in LA to Chicago or LA to Dallas. But you know it, it makes a lot of sense uh, when you think about uh, how deeply backhaul those markets are on the highway. That and, and those are fast growing you know cons- consumption centers. So it does it does make sense I think to open up you know some of these other some of these other um, lanes. Thomas, you brought it up earlier. It was to talk about it in terms of the attrition. Obviously, there's too much capacity in truckload at this point. That's going to deteriorate over time in natural ways, you would, you would think. Will that become a problem in terms of uh, how trucking can keep up with, with rail in terms of they're just going to be losing volumes and this is going to be a problem no matter what? Or is there anything they can do about it? Well, just feel like a victim of your own success. Once enough capacity leaves the market, what typically happens are two things. Prices go up, uh, rejection rates go higher, and service levels will go down. And, uh, you know, alluding to service right now, this is the perfect time for a shipper because you can really bully carriers on service levels and make sure they take all their allotments. But, you know, at the same time, these this won't last. And so what trucking does hope to see is a little more equal as a uh, normalization in terms of supply and demand. Right now, the the situation is still heavily skewed for shippers. Uh, so brokers and even truck and load carriers are, are going to be in a disadvantage. But yeah, I think this will be a challenge because as we do see the market turn, even into the second half of 24, one of the challenges will be is that in spite of the fact that truckload carriers will get higher costs, they're going to really start feeling the the pressure to try and maintain those service levels. And the, there is a concern that something like an intermodal, uh, if you get an exasperated shipper and there's still space, that they'll go and try other modes if they feel like they're uh, their carrier network is not able to do it. You know, if you're having too many rejections, waterfall goes on at the spot, you're getting, you know, way too much prices. I know we haven't seen that in a long time, but, you know, that is the potential uh, to happen. And, you know, if I'm an intermodal executive, that's probably what you're banking on. Look at what Hunt and Schneider, all the large publicly tr- traded truckload carriers are still using intermodal as a growth play. They're trying to hedge against the cyclical cycle right. because if you're pure play trucking, you know, you'll make more revenue, but you may also have some more uh, rough, choppy waters for your customers. Certainly an interesting conversation to have as we get into 2024. You have service, you have costs, and you have the future. Which way are you going to go? Mike and Thomas, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, we'll take a short break here. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of Freight Waves now after this. <laughs> 